0: Thank you for that. And for those of you just joining us now, welcome to you. I am in the Ward Church Sanctuary in Northville, Michigan. And wherever you are, I encourage you to just declare your space a sanctuary as we seek the wisdom of God together. There have been at least two overused words these last six months. Uh, One of them is unprecedented. It is unprecedented how much we have heard the word unprecedented. How many of you are ready for some precedented times? Remember those? And uh, the second overused word is pivot. I saw somebody post on Facebook. They said, my team has pivoted so many times, it feels now like we're just going in circles. And uh, you know, if you pivot more than three times, you're basically back where you started. This pandemic has forced us to push the reset button on so many areas of our lives. And that's not all bad. In this season, you can begin again uh, in your marriage, in your education, in your vocation, in your spiritual life. Today, we start a three-part series on discipleship that we are calling Reset. Reset. Now, when I think about discipleship, when I think about growing to become more like Jesus Christ, uh, growing to learn to live and love like Jesus, uh, I I think of discipleship kind of like a seating chart— uh, all over the world, people are familiar with churches that gather. Basically, they sit in rows. And uh, you can imagine these uh, seats uh, six feet apart for physical distancing. And uh, churches gather this way, whether the church is a, a, a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand. Uh, we gather in rows and we praise through song the living God and we pray together for the world and usually at some point in the service somebody stands up front and they open the bible and they teach from god's word and some of my most memorable spiritual moments have happened in settings like this uh, where i have heard a new insight from god's word for my life where i've been touched by the worship Uh, this corporate worship together has been critical for my discipleship my, my becoming more like jesus but there are times we gather not in rows, but in circles. And this would, uh, you know, classically describe the small group that my wife and I are part of. Um, and we might pray in a circle in my small group, but, but the prayer is a little different because we all know each other so well. We know each other's kids and what's going on in their life. So the prayers are more focused. And we might open the Bible in our small group, but it's different. It's not the expert teacher It's us talking about how the scripture applies to our lives. And I get things in this chart, this seating setting that I don't get here and vice versa. And I've learned that both of these are are critical in my own spiritual formation and spiritual health and well-being. And there's another seating chart. It may not be a chart, but this is just one chair. And maybe it's not a chair, but this is me all by myself. Just me and God talking together, listening. I open my Bible here too, but it's different. This is reflection on the scriptures. This is getting silent. This is listening to the still small voice of God. And I've learned that I need all three of these. All three of these are essential to my spiritual growth and well-being. And COVID-19 messed with the seating chart. We have not been able to gather in rows uh, since COVID-19 or when we do, we got to skip rows and spread all out. Uh, my small group uh, for months had to meet not in our living room, but on Zoom. And then it's, it's not a circle, it's a, it's a rectangle with little images on the squares. And you would think during COVID-19 during home quarantine, we all would have had more time for this. But I think frankly, a lot of us squandered it away watching Netflix. I, I, I could have found more time alone with God, but instead I watched all seven episodes of Tiger King, kind of a lost opportunity. It is time now to push reset and to rethink our discipleship. How will we grow uh, moving forward in this next year? And this, by the way, is our three-part series. Uh, today we're gonna talk about worship, what happens in rows. Next week we'll talk about circles and the value of community. And the third week, we'll talk about this alone time with you and God and God's word. And today we're gonna talk about this worship aspect, corporate worship. Um, Corporate from the Latin word corpus, meaning body, worshiping together as a body of Christ. Now you might ask, well, well, can I worship God all by myself? Yes, you can worship God all by yourself. You can worship God uh, when you're alone in your office, in your house, uh, in your car. I hope that you will do that. But the Bible does say, do not neglect the assembly together. Do not neglect the assembly. The old King James puts it this way. It says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The writer of Hebrews says some people are getting out of the habit of meeting together. And the author of Hebrews says, don't do that. Don't get out of that habit. Don't neglect the assembly. The assembly really matters and needs to be Prioritize. Look at Jesus uh, said this himself. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And they said, wait a minute, I thought God was omnipresent, that God is everywhere all the time. And now Jesus is putting some kind of quota system, two or three, what's, what's that about? Yes, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere all the time, but God is uniquely present in his gathered people God is uniquely present when his people are together in ways that do not happen when they were when they are scattered so we prize the assembly do not neglect the assembly prioritize the gathering together so today i want to call out some lessons that we have learned about the gathering. Lessons we have learned about the gathering. And lesson number one is this, the church can gather even when it can't gather. We, we, we've been unable to gather physically for six months. We've been forced to gather uh, virtually. Worship services went online. Small groups met on Zoom. Uh, support groups found other ways to connect with each other. 80% of the, our small groups, 80% of our groups made the jump to online. And even our groups that include older members that you might think have some challenges with technology, they made the jump as well. Just amazing uh, to the jump online. Before COVID-19, church leaders all around America, and our church leaders included, were asking, does online church count? Like, is it legit? And that might seem obvious today, but it was not obvious six months ago. Is online church really church? Doesn't everybody want to be in the room where it happens? The room where it happens. I remember a conversation uh, 10 years ago in which I was taking the position that it was necessary for people to come to a church building for church because the nature of church is relationships and community. And you have to physically be together for that to happen. And somebody in the circle younger than I said, sitting in a row, staring at the back of someone's head, isn't necessarily community. And she said, I can have more community in an interactive online forum. And it helped me realize that Christian community can be pursued or avoided in a building, the same way it can be pursued or avoided online. And we're we're thinking a lot about this right now. But what about the sacrament of communion? Doesn't the Lord's Supper have to be taken in person? And people in, in my tradition, people in my tribe are very theological and we're often accused of overthinking things. And often that is a real fair critique. And our elders shared some of my initial hesitations about extending communion to people watching services online. Uh, Our initial thought was that communion is a tangible physical act and it cannot be virtual. Uh, Communion is an act of the embodied physical church. In fact, the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, prohibits private or individual communion. Although it makes a provision for people who are too ill to come to church. Uh, Communion is always an act of the gathered church. Uh, The communion sacrament is only shared when the church is gathered. Now, the nice thing about being part of a denomination is that there is a process for handling theological disputes. You remember in the New Testament, when they were arguing about some theology, they would send it to Jerusalem for the apostles to rule on. Now, in our case, we send our questions To Orlando, Florida, and Mickey Mouse in the no, not there's a different kingdom, Uh, but our stated clerk of our denomination has ruled in a temporary ruling for this COVID season. The stated clerk of the EPC ruled that communion is only for the gathered church, and that the church can be considered gathered when it is gathered virtually. And so we have been extending communion to those of you watching online over these last six months, and we're going to do so again today. Those of you that are at home, you'll need to get your own bread or cracker. Anything you have at home will work just fine. You need to get your own juice and cup, and anything at home will work just fine. God will take the ordinary and the common and set it apart for the holy and the uncommon. It'll become sacrament so that when we break bread we are breaking bread together and when we worship we are worshiping together and when we pray we are praying together in, in many ways our church and many other churches have had a strong sense of together even in the season where we are physically separated And churches nationwide as they begin to return to in-person worship services we're seeing a a national average of about a 30 percent return rate that is most churches in america are seeing 30 percent of their pre-covid attendees return to in-person in building attendance and the rest of their congregation is online and so church leaders are trying to pivot in these unprecedented times to figure out how to be a church where 70% of the church is online and 30% of the church is in person. Some churches just got rid of the large gathering altogether and they're meeting in house churches, groups of 10. Uh, Listen, church will look different for a while, but nothing can stop the church from worship. So to those of you at home who don't feel safe or ready to return to an in-building large gathering, that's okay. You are part of the gathered community of, of Jesus. You are here. We are together. We are one. Nothing can stop the church from gathering even when the church can't gather. Lesson number two. Worship is not something that happens on a screen or on a stage, right? Worship is a verb. Worship is something that you do, not something that you watch, right? Uh, Take a look at uh, what the psalmist says. Psalm 66, two says, make his praise glorious. Whose job is that? It's your job. Your job and my job to make his praise glorious. Uh, Worship is something that you do, not something you watch. It's not an event you show up for. And so don't wait for something to happen on screen or on stage. You focus your thoughts. You direct your worship. You do worship. Here's a uh, definition of worship I found uh, years ago. I think the original source is Dieter Zander. Here's what worship is. Worship is seeing God for who God really is seeing ourselves for who we really are and responding appropriately worship is seeing god for who god really is seeing ourselves for who we really are and responding appropriately worship is a response it's something that we do and we saw that in the psalm that was read so well earlier in our service psalm 150 praise the lord praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise God inside and praise him outside. Praise God in the sanctuary and praise God wherever you are under the mighty heavens. And then it goes on, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for surpassing greatness. This is a response. Because of his power, because of his greatness, we respond with our praise. Now there are lots of ways we can respond to God, lots of ways we can respond to God not just in a worship service, but the rest of the psalm lists musical instruments. So the psalmist does have in mind this worship gathering where we sing together. And you can see the kind of the instruments they use, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and lyre, praise him with, this almost sounds like a list of worship venues. You know, you got the the harp and lyre service, we'll meet at 9.30 in the sanctuary, and the timbrel and dancing service, that's the least attended service that meets at 11. And then you got the strings and the pipe service, that's a very nice one. Um, The the clash of cymbal service, that's a little different. And the the resounding cymbal service, that meets at at 9 p.m. in the the youth room. Uh, The psalmist is not describing different categories of worship. The psalmist is saying every instrument Everything can be used as an instrument of praise to our God. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Do you have breath? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's something that we do. If you have breath, praise the Lord. Don't just watch worship. Praise the Lord. Lesson number three. Inconvenience and sacrifice are good for discipleship I have good news for you today worship in the months ahead is going to be less convenient and involve more self-sacrifice at our church and at churches around the world and that is an ideal environment for spiritual growth for those of us who grew up in the united states uh, anytime in the last 100 years, we grew up believing that worship should be convenient and comfortable. But of course, for much of Christian history, and still in many places in the world today, worship is neither convenient nor comfortable. In places of the world where Christianity is sparse, it involves traveling a great distance, sometimes by foot. In places of the world where Christianity is illegal, worship involves a great deal of risk. It's interesting that in places of the world where worship is least convenient, the faith is most robust. In, in, in places where are the most obstacles, Christianity is growing the fastest. And I think our obstacles are going to increase in the coming months, and so we are going to have lots of opportunity. If I may gently point out some small examples, uh, some of you said you desperately wanted to come back to corporate worship, but you did not join any of the outdoor services in the summertime because you were worried that you would be too hot. And honestly, it, it, got, it was pretty hot. <laughs> uh, some of you don't want to wear a mask, and I get it. Masks are a pain. They are uncomfortable, and I still haven't found one that fits my face right. But we forget that the one that we follow had as the centerpiece of his life and message, self-sacrifice for the sake of others. At the centerpiece of Jesus' life and mission and message was self-sacrifice for the sake of others. I hate wearing a mask. I consider wearing a mask a sacrifice albeit a small one compared to the sacrifice of our Lord, but a sacrifice just the same. It is is a sacrifice I make for the sake of others. And whenever I make a sacrifice for the sake of someone else, I become a little more like Jesus. And right now we are surrounded by opportunities to become more like Jesus. Isn't that exciting? I know you still don't believe that I'm giving you good news, but I am giving you good news. It's good news because if we adopt the right mindset around this, you and I will be more like Jesus a year from now than we are today. It's gonna happen, friends. When we worship in ways that are not convenient, when we put others' needs ahead of our own needs, when we lay down our personal preferences for somebody else, it is good for the soul. If the early church could worship underground, we certainly can worship under a thin piece of fabric. Sacrifice is nothing new for Christians. Uh, In fact, it defines us or it's supposed to. Uh, Let me remind you of what Jesus himself said. He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the words of Jesus. Look at what Paul said to the church of Philippi. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Imagine if we applied these words to our worshiping life. Think not about your own needs. In humility, think about the needs of those seated near you or those seated right now in places you cannot see. Paul understood this idea of self-sacrifice, that that humble self-sacrifice shapes us to be more like the one we follow. Paul said this also to the church of Philippi. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings. Paul says, I want to participate in suffering becoming like jesus in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead paul says man i, I want to know christ so much i even want to know and identify with him in suffering where i grew up i was taught you know sacrifice and suffering are things to be avoided but is it possible that in avoiding sacrifice and suffering we are also avoiding an opportunity to identify with, and to become like Jesus. Lesson number four. Worship is more than just the gathering. Worship is more than just the gathering. Worship is a response, and there are all kinds of ways that we can respond. Look at what uh, Romans 12 says. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not just singing a song, but offering our whole selves to God. That's worship. Uh, Paul describes this in another place. Uh, not, not, Not Paul, this is Peter. Uh, Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins, praise God. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. And then here is, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. It's about worship. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So that God may be praised. We should do these things so that God will be praised. What things? Be hospitable to each other. Serve each other. Speak the words of God. That is true worship. You can worship God in all of these ways. In this pandemic, when we've been unable to gather together physically, many of you have discovered new ways to worship God, to respond to God, like by serving your neighbors. What a beautiful way to worship our God through our service. Let me remind you what James says. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's worship. Looking after other people. May we be that, those kind of, of worshipers. Well, let's look at that definition of worship one more time. We said worship is seeing God for, for who, who God really is, seeing ourselves for who we really are, and responding appropriately. There's a, there's a lot in that definition. If we wanna grow as worshipers, we need to see God uh, accurately. We need to see if we have a distorted view of God, we're not gonna be great worshipers. We need to see ourselves for who we really are. And if we have an inflated sense of self or a deflated sense of self, it's gonna affect our worship. And then we respond appropriately. In the few minutes I have left for the teaching time, I wanna walk through how this definition plays out in the life of one man in the Bible named Isaiah. And his story, you may know, is found in the book that bears his name, Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to see how this definition plays out in the life of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it begins this way In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above them were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Right? He starts this passage, In the year that King Uzziah Died. Why does he start it that way? Maybe he wants to give it a, a chronological time stamp so we know when this story occurs. But I think he wants us to know his own state of mind here as he sees this vision. King Uzziah was a good king, he brought prosperity and stability to the land, and now he's gone. And people are distracted, they're preoccupied. What's going to happen to us now? And Isaiah himself. Is preoccupied sometimes we come into a worship service either online or in person and it's very easy for us to get preoccupied we try to lay aside our distractions but the truth is we're we're worried about our lives and our kids and the economy and the unrest in this world and it's it's hard to put our attention onto god but maybe it'll be encouraging for you to know that right in the midst of this distraction is when god shows up and isaiah sees the glory of god right in the midst of distraction god breaks through let's continue with that next story verse five uh, isaiah says woe to me i cried i am ruined for i am a man of unclean lips right isaiah has seen god now for who god really is this beautiful vision of uh, of the, the glory of god and now he's going to see himself for who he really is woe to me i am ruined i'm a man of unclean lips for i live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty when we see god for who god really is we begin to see ourselves for who we really are isaiah says i recognize that i'm a i'm i'm a sinner i i, I see myself with greater clarity than i've ever seen before Part of responding to God appropriately means become clean and say, Woe to me, I'm a sinner. I have needs that I was unable to see before, and now I see it with clarity. But notice how the Lord responds to Isaiah in the next uh, verse here. One of the seraphim flew to me, to Isaiah, with a, a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips." your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for, right? When Isaiah stands before a just and holy God and he comes honestly and humbly, God meets Isaiah at his point of need. When we get clear and honest, God responds with grace and with restoration. But then notice what else here happens at the end of the story. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. There's a sending at the end. There's a response at the end. If worship just stays on Sunday morning on our television set or in our sanctuary, if it doesn't go with us out into our neighborhood and into our work and into our schools, if it just stays here and doesn't go out, it is not appropriate worship. Because worship isn't something that takes place in a church or on a screen. It's something that takes place in your life. When we see God for who God really is, and we see ourselves for who we really are, and we own up to our sin and we seek God's forgiveness and God's restoration in our lives, then it is appropriate to respond by offering to God more of ourselves. We say to ourselves, how else could I respond, but to offer more of me because of what he has done. Send me, that is very appropriate worship. Will you pray with me? Well, God, we thank you that you are a God worthy to be worshiped. You are powerful and good and wise and just and merciful. You are light and life. You are above all. You are eternal. You are sufficient. You sustain and preserve. You are our king, our shepherd, our heavenly father. We worship you. We, we offer ourselves to you as best we can in this moment. Help us to see you for who you really are. Protect us from an undeveloped or distorted view of you. And then, God, help us to see ourselves as we really are. Protect us from an inflated or a deflated sense of self. And may our lives be an appropriate response. Receive our worship now. We proclaim along with the angels, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.